You're listening to Boat Radio. I'm John Herlig. Three years ago in a boatyard in Reedville, Virginia, in the United States, I came across an old, sun-bleached boat named Ave Del Mar. I learned that long before she became mine, she had sailed around the world. She's been through the Panama and Suez canals, has cruised in the sunny Mediterranean, and has rounded the infamous Cape Horn. Now she's begun a new journey with me. This is Postcards from Sea, and this is where I share stories of the people and places I encounter as Ave Del Mar and I sail the world together. Say what you want now. Time goes forward, go and catch your jet, you will find your moment. So I am in Melbourne, Florida, which would be technically what is it, Space Coast? Is that what they call it? That's correct. And I'm with my dear cousin Scott, because he lives here, very, very close to the inner waterway, which is why I stopped here initially, not really to see him, but just because it was convenient. That's a lie. <laughs> um, on my way south. That was way back in February, I think, when I first stopped here. Yep, almost the end of the month. Almost the end of February, and I was here for a couple of months. Yep. And uh, since took off and ended up down in West Palm Beach, which is a couple of hours by car south of here. And um, he came down and fetched me and brought me up for Thanksgiving and to celebrate my birthday and to argue about Star Wars. Of course. All, all of which has happened. So, um, awesome spot, close to the Intracoastal and um, close to lots of rocket launches. None of which we managed to see because they were either canceled or we were in the backyard drinking. <laughs> I, is, uh, I believe that uh, only happened once well, on the backyard drinking, missing one. But. Yes, well, and Mother Nature didn't do us any favors. And Scott, Scott's done sailing too, which I completely forgot about up in Sacramento, in Sacramento, on Lake Folsom. Okay. Uh, which is uh, near Folsom Prison, of all places. Oh, Johnny Cash. There's, yep, there's a big dam there. And um, my friend Ted, my very dear friend Ted, um, operated a kind of like a sailing club where um, right. folks could would pay about a quarter of the slip fees, I think. They would train them on sailing, you know, how to sail the boat. And then they would make reservations, take the boat out, and... And you when they didn't make Ted. reservations, Ted and I would <laughs> And I'm going to guess you and Ted probably did that with a case of beer on ice. And, yeah, um, yeah, not, yeah, definitely. And, yeah. Uh, Summertime, we, San Francisco, I mean, San, uh, where, Sacramento. Sacramento. And you were, you were how old? In my 20s? early 20s. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. sure that was the most responsible sailing that has ever happened. Yeah, yeah, all the time, every time. Any idea what kind of boat that... See, I told you I wasn't going to interview you. You're just supposed to help me, but here I am asking you questions. Any idea what kind of boat it was? 24-foot Catalina. Oh, there you go. Oh, I've sailed uh, Catalina 25. Not very successfully (laughs) before. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, we're close to all the rocket launches and... uh, Coca, where the the rocket launches go from Cape Canaveral and Kennedy Cape, Space Center, which is just north of here, is that closer to Cocoa 
In between us and Coco? No, no, it's between us and Titusville. Oh, I know Titusville. I didn't like Titusville. <laughs> Sorry to anyone who's from Titusville. Anyway, so we're in South Central Florida, I guess you would call that. Is that right? Central Florida. Central Florida, not quite south. Right. It's warm. It's late November, and it's probably almost 80 degrees at this point. I think almost 70 today, but it'll, we'll get oh, up to 80. I don't know. I can't imagine. It's not even 70. I'm in a t-shirt, and I'm not chilly at all. But uh, it's it's a heck of a lot warmer than Annapolis. <laughs> I'm sure of that. So, um, and uh, Scott's going to chat with us and help me tell the story of getting into sailing. Although, as we've already discussed, his sailing history goes back a lot farther than mine. But before we do that, I have to get this on record. I don't think that Rogue... What's it called? Rogue Story? The new Star Wars thing? Rogue One. Rogue One? I just, I'm, I'm already not on board. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, you just are quibbling on, you know, little details here. Yeah, no. It'll be fun. Star Wars, Star Wars, I was 13 when Star Wars came out. I saw it dozens of times in the theater. I have to have been at almost the perfect age for that movie when it came out. Slightly. I think I was at a perfecter age because I could drive. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you and your perfecter world. But it was a brief bike ride for me down to the theater where my friend Steve and I at the old Vienna Theater on Maple Avenue in Vienna saw that movie many, many times. And it was an adventure and it was fun. Oh, yeah. And both of the next two were both adventures and were fun. And then all of a sudden it just got depressed and it took this hideous prequel pill and <laughs> became dark and horrible um, for one, two, and three, which I still like to call four, five, and six. And then they came out with the one early 2016, the Force, Force Awakened. The Force Awakened. Late 2015. Sorry, late 2015. I'm not so good with linear time. And uh, I liked that one a lot, which I saw when I was here with Scott. And I really liked that one a lot because it felt like the first ones to me. Yep. And now Rogue Story. Rogue, Rogue One. I, I'm, I'm an idiot. I can't get the name right. But I don't see the commercials. I don't have a TV on the boat. Rogue One, parenthetically, a Star Wars story, is now coming out. And I think it looks depressing again. But that's 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 yet. I, I'm apparently not of the proper Star Wars um, nerd makeup. I just like them. So, all right, we'll get that out of the way. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. I'm being laughed at. Anyway, thank you for your help on that. And I had to clear the record because I think there was some tension in the air because we've been arguing about Star Wars pretty much all morning long. Yes. Yeah. And I fail. I also fail at the Star Wars Wii video game, which my cousin Scott has. And he has, even when he was. Uh, in the death throes of leukemia and I came down to hang with him for a week and he could hardly walk he could still manage to kick my ass at Star Wars Wii video game every time I, th I remember you distinctly <laughs> winning once or twice yes by accident the same way I used to beat my son at uh, Mortal Kombat and when I would accidentally win he would get irate and he would say you don't even know what you were doing you were just pushing all the buttons and I'd say yeah but you died so that's all that matters so back to sailing so you sailed on the lake in the Catalina 24 and we would also sail occasionally on the delta um, of the 
American and Sacramento River where they joined together on the way down into oh, San nice. Francisco. So, nice. Very Was there very much beautiful. current in that? Did you have to get caught trying to come back up river or not too bad, usually. Not too bad. You know, but um, you know, a few knots. Well, a so, few knots well I can tell you from my experience coming down the Intracoastal Waterway, a few knots of current can mess with you on a boat. Maybe more so on my Ave Del Mar than on your little Catalina, because I got a lot more happening under the waterline. I'm a, <clears throat> I'm big boned, if you will, below the waterline. It's a very um, windy area, though, so you know you have uh, plenty of, uh, of of wind power to work with to work so. against. I've also gotten caught in my dinghy sailing <laughs> with uh, not enough keel, not enough uh, dagger board to fight with the wind to overcome the current where I've ended up <laughs> dropping the sail and rowing back home. I digress. So, um, I don't think Scott and I overlapped on sailing at all. I grew up not in a sailing world. I grew up the son of a man who loved sailing, but who didn't sail. My dad, your uncle, never sailed. Um, That might not be exactly technically true. I don't know if he was ever actually on a sailboat at any point in his life, but he certainly didn't have sailing friends we weren't at the lake on weekends sailing. There was no Sacramento sailing. It wasn't a part of my world. My first recollection of my father having an interest in sailing was when he came home from San Francisco with the only actual oil painting that my parents ever owned, which was of a sailboat out in San Francisco Bay in stormy water in the fog, shocking for San Francisco. And where you could kind of, I don't even know if you could see the hole. I think maybe all you could see was the sails through the fog. And he loved and probably still does love that painting. And I think that was, I would have been a young man of 10 or so at that point. And um, I think that was my first hint that he loved sailing. When we moved to Washington, D.C., which would have been in 1976, uh, July the 6th, I think I actually spent... July the 4th of 1976, the bicentennial anniversary of our country, I spent on the road in either a U-Haul rental moving truck or in the back of our 1965 microbus um, driving between Topeka, Kansas and Washington, D.C. That was my great bicentennial celebration. It, uh... Oh, man. That timing is everything in life, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> well, we ended up there. I did... I got to, in subsequent years, see the Beach Boys perform on the 4th of July on the mall under the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., in the rain, played Frisbee, didn't drink beer. I don't think my parents would let me, but, you know, I got enough of that done behind their back, so I digress. But getting to Washington, I think, is what got us close to uh, the waterfront in D.C., in Alexandria. There were actually some, some... Sailing, I think backyard boats might have had a minor presence in Alexandria down on the Potomac River back in the day. And I would go with my dad down to backyard boats and look at their sailboat inventory and climb aboard sailboats with him. And for no particular reason other than maybe being somewhat... I don't know, a part of the rebellious sect of society, I think the sailboats appealed to me. I grew up camping. We were in intense Colorado, Rocky Mountain, 
long-term camping family because my father was a teacher, so he didn't work during the summer, and we would spend just oodles of time camping. And I mean tent camping, not pop-up, not RV. And I think that's a part of the same core. I don't know if you camp. Did you camp? I did. When you I were did. younger? And the thing about sailing that always appealed to me was the, the quietness in your time with you know, with the water and nature and, you know, having to pay attention to what's going on around you, but also just enjoying the moment, you yeah. know, and, um, I mean, you know, you get a perfect sail line, you wing on wing sometimes, you know, and just moving right with the wind, and it's just so unbelievably pleasant and, um, you know, serene. Right. And um, I just... Um, it's Zen. Long before I knew what Zen was, I think the Zen of sailing appealed to me. Long before I could have put it in those terms. Yep. Yep. I would imagine, <clears throat> you know, with the powerboat presence that was probably out there in that area, to see somebody out there just enjoying themselves and enjoying nature, yeah. you know, would, would do that. Yeah. And without a doubt. Um, and then it, at some point, my dad started going to the Annapolis Sailboat Show, which, um, for those of you who don't know, occurs once a year, every year, in Annapolis. It is the largest in-water sailboat show in the United States and happens the second weekend of October every year. They actually have a powerboat show, too, and there are a lot of powerboats in Annapolis. I happen not to come for... There, there are segments of the sailing world which are not very nice to power boaters. There are segments of the power boaters, you know, sort of like like drivers who take joy out of buzzing as close to the cyclists as they can. There are segments of the power boating crowd who aren't fond of sailboats. I'm, I'm live and let live. I don't care if, you know, my sailboat's got an engine. I'm not going to lie. I'm not <laughs> Lynn and Larry Party. I'm not driving around with, with no engine. You'd still be on your way down from Annapolis, I think. I would (laughs) still be on my way down from Annapolis if I didn't have an engine. I'm embarrassed to admit that that's true. Well, I might have made it or died trying. God knows. Um, But So they have a powerboat show, and I don't hate the powerboaters. I hate... Well, I don't hate anyone. I hate when people behave rudely on the water, and that could be a sailboat or a powerboat, and it happens a lot. It's probably a subject for another day. That's a very... Intracoastal waterway uh, specific um, discussion, and, and it happens. It happens a lot. It happens at Anchor Town in West Palm. But so we started going to the Annapolis Sailboat Show. Does that afford an opportunity to get on the sailboat? Yes, and actually sail. Um, sail no with them. With them? You, you could. I think there there are a lot of educational seminars, and I would assume there are probably. Many companies and sailing, there are a lot of sailing schools in Annapolis. Um, Annapolis is a big, it's, it's the self-proclaimed sailing capital of America. Self-proclaimed, I say. I think they would get a lot of competition on the East Coast from Newport, Rhode Island, where my cousin and I have also been to spend time. But, um, so, but Annapolis is much more of a sailing and sail racing community. There's a lot of sail racing that happens. Of course, the Navy, United States Naval Academy, is in Annapolis where they teach sailing still to the uh, sailors in the Navy. Um, I guess I believe those would be called midshipmen. Midshipmen. So- sorry. I, I'm, I, I'm not ever going to 
get a blue ribbon for knowing what to call everyone. For the midshipmen in the Navy, but they are sailors, even if they don't sail boats with sails, right? If you're on, a, if you're on an aircraft carrier, are you a sailor as a midshipman? So. Yeah, you're still a sailor. It's like rolling up the window or dialing someone's phone number requires neither rolling nor dialing anymore, but you still roll up the window and dial someone's phone number. Well, I guess you just call someone now. But uh, anyway, it's not an etymology podcast. So, but they teach sailing, and there's the Chesapeake Bay. What a spectacular body of water for sailing because there's so much wide open water. There's not within the bay not a strong current influence so you don't often get trapped you might get trapped from wind but you're not going to get tramped unable to come back up current um which happens in other places i've i've done that maybe more in the dinghy than <laughs> than in in ave in ave i can always start the engine and go but so the sailboat show to answer your question i think there are probably sailing schools where you might be able to um, even without taking the regular school curriculum, I would guess perhaps they take people out to entice them into the program for pay. But the main focus of the sailboat show is twofold. It is selling sailboats, and it is selling smallwares, equipment, services, engines, hardware, and all those things pertinent to sailing and sailboats. And the funny thing is, I went to that show every year with my dad probably for the better part of a decade never missed a year and all i did so there's just acres of tents with vendors in them that sell you know they sell hardware kits lifelines lines uh, flotation devices uh, dinghies it's rescue, what do you know, you're a man overboard, life rafts, you'd think I'd know these terms since I live on a boat and own one, you know, shackles, hard, and I did not ever for a decade even set foot in one of those tents. I spent one or two days at that show literally just going from one sailboat to the next sailboat, waiting in line, you have to sign up, put your email down, take your shoes off, sit in a little chair, they have to, you know, sometimes they give you a sail spiel, and then when enough people climb off the boat, you get to climb on the boat. I did not know, uh, I was going to say my ass from a hole in the ground, I didn't know top from bottom on that damned boat, and I would just sit there and stare at it, like... Like a 14-year-old staring at the swimsuit issue of Sports Illustrated in the late 1970s, just staring at it. I didn't know what to do with that either. Um, and just in love with the boat and, the, and just pictured myself cooking in the boat, living on the boat, sailing on the boat. No idea why. What's funny about that is now that you are a boat owner and a sailor, um, I would have to think. The tents would get a lot more action these days. You're <laughs> scouring for this and that, and you know that one thing, the perfect, the perfect yeah. fit. I would yet the last three years that I attended that show, uh, 2013, 14, and fifteen, I don't think I set foot on a single boat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh no, that's actually a lie. My father still went with me. My dad is eighty. Seven right now, 
So he would have been 86, 85, and 84 for the last three shows that we attended together, and I don't think he went there this year because there was no one to go with him. Um, but my dad has... He was, if I can get this chronology correct, I think he was uh, in love with Cabo Rico's for the longest time, which I also got from him. And uh, it's, uh, those Bill Creelock designed boats are still among my all-time favorites. And then he veered off and was in love with Island Packets, um, with that cutaway full keel. And Island Packet is also the boat that my friends Chip and Tammy ended up buying and that I sailed with them down the Intracoastal Waterway in Florida. Almost stopping to visit you, but not quite. We were anchored a stone's throw away, but we weren't going to drop the dinghy and come see you. Sorry. Um, it and, was pretty windy. And it was also awfully windy. That was a number of years ago. But then my dad got into catamarans. And I think he was into the Prouts, but he ended up being in love with the Gemini catamaran. I cannot share with you the details of the Gemini catamaran. I can assure you if my father, who might be Rain Man reincarnated, if my father's in love with it, there's got to be some logic in that boat because that's how that man's mind works. So the last three years, I would always take my father, who would pretend not to want to go onto the Gemini and look at it, and he would take egging and pushing for the better part of a day, and then he would finally break down and say, okay, all right, we'll go on the Gemini. And I would go sign up, and they would ask him questions and put down your email and he always had his boat shoes on he always bought a new pair of boat shoes although he's never owned a boat he's always worn boat shoes and would buy a new pair of boat shoes every year at the boat show but we would climb on the gemini and take a tour and he would express what he liked and what he disliked he would always have a critique for the gemini people of things ready to go huh? of things that were uh, not quite right about that boat that they should have done a different way or done better but you're absolutely right the last three years all I did was scour through the tents talk to riggers that's where I got all of my LED lighting I replaced all the lighting on my boat all the lighting fixtures with stuff that I bought at the boat show um, on discount I would go by uh, the, the outfitting stores and buy discounted you know, wiring, wire connectors, heat shrink tubing, um, just everything. God, it was heaven. It was what about those sails that you have. <laughs> no, none of the sails. No, all my sails I got with my boat. Oh. And I have an extensive sail inventory. I have, I want to say, thirteen or fourteen sails, at least twelve or thirteen. Only one of which has any structural flaws. Um, and by the way, on a, on a minor uh, minor tangent, we're not too far from the road. The motorcycle just went by. So I, don't, I don't know if you pick up the road traffic or not, but we're in, we're in Scott's backyard, which is this spectacular... It's the backyard version of a man cave, I think. We may or may not be having a mid-morning cigar... While the traffic goes by, it's screened in because in Central Florida, I believe the mosquitoes reach about what a foot long in summer. Yeah, they would carry us off. I guess <laughs> in a tree somewhere, you know, some desiccated husk. Yeah, I do not wish to be a desiccated husk, having been pulled off and sucked dry by a, a man-eating mosquito in Central Florida. And there's a swimming pool, which I may or may not have spent some time in. But anyway, we're not too far from the road, so you get a little traffic going by from time to time. But I uh, see so yeah, all my sails I got with the boat. 
And I actually had people four years ago telling me that I owned too many sales and I should get rid of some of them. Um, and I nodded mm -hmm. at those people and said, hmm, and kept all the sales in the sale locker and never got rid of one of them. You know, it's really hard when you first get the boat to figure all that out. Um, you get advice from so many people and all these people who give you advice know what they're talking about. But here's the disconnect. They don't know you and they don't know what you're going to do. So you're not supposed to buy a boat without really knowing how to sail. I knew my way around a boat a little bit from my friends. Um, but I was, I was a novice of the highest degree. Or if you're a novice, is it of the lowest degree? Anyway. Um, and, and you would really take to heart all this advice you get and not really know what to do with it. And I think if I could go back in time as almost 2017 John until 2013 John anything all I would say is throw nothing away from that boat that boat that you're buying has been around the world almost twice has anchored off of Cape Horn Jamie um, Jamie Bryson has actually climbed up to the top of Cape Horn when he was well he didn't anchor because that's like 30 some odd feet of water but he was tied off to the back of his friend's boat and his friend down there actually did motor tours around the winds were right so his friend anchored and he tethered his boat off the back of his friends dingy to shore and climbed you climb all these stairs up to the top and there's a um, I believe is it an Argentine controlled lookout that's um, up at the top and he was I believe upset he'd forgotten to bring his passport with him from the boat and uh -oh. you can get your passport stamped <laughs> I think he might have, I he bought a book or a postcard or a t-shirt or something. Can you imagine? Oh, you make it to Cape Horn and you got to buy a t-shirt. Oh, that's just not right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you're not supposed to buy a boat with visions of sailing around the world unless you're one of the idiots who wants to just follow the triangle on the GPS and not know what you're doing and get in trouble and get rescued by the Coast Guard and be that idiot. And, and I somehow was convinced that I was going to be in this narrow category of person who wasn't going to be that idiot, but also didn't know what I was doing yet, but also did not want to sit on my butt in Annapolis and sail around buoys in the Chesapeake Bay and then, you know, drink Heineken with people at the marina afterwards. That was just not where I wanted to go. So the sails, I'm glad I kept the sails. I wish I could go back. There are some things that I'm sure I threw out that I wish I hadn't thrown out. But So all this, I don't know if we figured out how I fell in love with sailing. And I don't think it's sailing specific. This could be a cross-country bike trek. This could be hiking the Appalachian Trail, which I've done segments of and I love backpacking. This could be doing the trail in its entirety. It could be hitchhiking across South America. I've hitchhiked across Italy. It It's all a part of that same fabric of just not wanting to sit idle, of wanting to sort of strip my existence down. That's Rosie, if you hear Rosie in the background. Um, strip my existence down to the to the barest elements. It's my, it's my Henry David Thoreau, where I want to break things down to a, a more existential daily life, and sailing resonates with that. I th I've always thought that was a big part of where you're going, is to, um, you know, leaving that small footprint 
on yep. the planet, sure. and you know, living comfortably with nature. Um, although I'm sure August and West Palm <laughs> a little uh, closer at August, times than you wanted to be. August um, in West Palm is a rite of passage, perhaps, mm-hmm. where I, yeah, you would wake up in a sweat, and it didn't get better from there. And I think I spent six weeks of my six months or so in West Palm literally just sitting on the boat under the fan. I, I was too hot to read. <laughs> and that's that's pretty in touch with nature. But it is on a higher level than, than making fun of it. It is honestly a part of of learning, how, you know, air conditioning. I don't really like air conditioning anyway, although I'll admit I started going to the library every day. Um because it gave you an opportunity to get out of the heat. But I didn't like the air conditioning of the library either because it was too cold and too dry and it screwed up my lungs. But yep. anyway, so that's, but that's how I got the sailing bug, I think. And then um, to wrap up with how I found Ave, my mother, um, my mother, so my parents divorced many years ago um, and my mother has remarried also many years ago. And my mother's second husband... Uh, likes to buy things quite so and he sells them he's he's sort of like a living roaming garage sale it comes and it goes he has actually I think she confessed to me once that she took something out of the attic that she was just sick of being there took it and donated it to the secondhand shop and a week later it showed up as a new purchase her husband had repurchased it not ever knowing that he had purchased it in the first place I have no idea what that item was <laughs> but I think that probably tells their story so he um, had a sailboat a maybe early 80s 30 foot Comar Comet which is an Italian built rather fast maybe 5 foot 10 inch draft sailboat light I don't even think it weighs 8,000 pounds um, and they sailed it for a bit my mother who didn't even swim wouldn't put her head underwater when I was a young man growing up took sailing lessons learned to sail to overcome her fear which I admire very much about her and they did sail that boat never far just day sailing but they sailed it and I think she really enjoyed it but then you know uh, they got a little on in years and stopped sailing the boat and it was on the hard in Reedville Virginia and they weren't using it and her husband Murray offered me that boat he said I could have it free so I threw my dad and a toolbox I was so excited that I was going to get a sailboat, and I threw my dad, well, I didn't actually throw him in the car, I invited my father into the car, threw in a toolbox, drove to Reedville, Virginia, which is just off the Chesapeake Bay, um, and uh, went to look at the boat, and the boat was absolutely just not, not salvageable at all. It had filled with water. Everything inside had rotted. Oh. The hole was delaminated. You could push blisters the size of grapefruit in the fiberglass on the hole in with your fist so it was a goner um but a great start and it's what took me to the boatyard and i walked around that boatyard as i think i've said before if you're in a boatyard uh, of any substantial size let's say a dozen and a half or more boats and this boatyard certainly had a lot more than that there will be boats for sale always um there's always either a boat that someone's was someone's, you know, restoration dream, 
retirement dream. Some people are at one end of the spectrum, some people the other, but somebody's always got a boat and a plan that didn't quite sync up. And they reach a point where they don't have the time, the ability, the money, or or uh, just the inspiration to make it work anymore. And they hang a for sale sign on it and leave it on on the hard in the boatyard. And that's where Ave was with her for sale sign just sitting there. And I went by her twice without copying the phone number down because I just thought she looked a little washed up and a little tired, both of which were kind of true. But there was something intriguing there that uh, led me to call. I think I've already told that story in my interview with Mike, so I'll skip the details of that. But that's what got me to that boatyard. And I did call and ended up going aboard Ave and falling in love with Ave and making that deal work. And um, that got me from from dad bringing home an oil painting to going to the boat show and sitting on boats and just uh, the the... the the absolute fantasy movie reel that was going through my head when I was on those boats in Annapolis when I was late teens or early 20s or whatever it was, maybe older. And then uh, finding Ave and buying stuff and coming down here and anchoring close to your house and drinking through rocket launches. Yep. You know, it's just amazing, though. To, it's always fun to see somebody with a dream and then to see that dream fulfilled. And then to watch that dream turn into something. My friend Ted is a great example of that. He um, always dreamed of becoming a, a master diver and diving every day. He is sailboatless these days, living in the Philippines, uh, diving two, three times a day, um, you know, for free uh, or or getting paid if he's uh, part of the part of the crew. He, adding. Uh, uh, photos every day and videos oh. uh, of these dives and it's just spectacular he's in Sabang um, Bay I believe um, in, the Philippines. in the Philippines does he lead diving expeditions or does he, he just dive for the them, pure pleasure he, he goes along cruise he crews on them out. so he's just retired yeah in the Philippines yeah diving taking pictures of pretty fish and coral reefs and sometimes they say, hey, Ted, we got a big group going out. Do you want a crew? And he'll go, ah, okay. Yeah. And he'll crew and make a little money. That yeah. sounds like a terrible life. Every day. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'll leave you with this. I, um, I had a shrink who once looked at me across her desk and said, John, I think you're going to die with the shortest to-do list of anyone I've ever known in my life. And... <laughs> I don't always know if that's good or bad because uh, um, I've got the tenacity for a lot of things. I don't always, uh, I don't know, there's not as much longevity in certain things in my life. But if you, it sounds cliche, but if you live in the present moment, longevity is really an abstract concept. So I don't, and I had to tell a lot of people before I left on the sailboat that I was going to call them naysayers, people who could not understand that I was doing this and why. And and they would say, well, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? And I would many times have to look at those people and say, you know, if I might make it to the islands and decide I hate it and sell the boat I don't or abandon the boat. I don't know. I can't answer that. I'm not promising you that this is going to be the new perfect reality for John. I'm not promising you that this is going to last X number of years. I'm not promising you I'm going to make it around the world. I'm promising you that I have aspirations. 
and that I'm going to pursue them. And if it works, I'll keep going. And if it doesn't work, owning this sailboat is not a death sentence unless I screw up and die doing it. But that's not the point. The point is, from a from a motivation standpoint, wanting to do this is not well, not even a death sentence, a jail sentence. There's no particular amount of time I have to do. I owe it to no one to achieve a geographic destination or a duration of time that I have to do this before I stop doing it. I might do this the rest of my life. I might make it to South America and have had a bad experience on the way and decide that it's been fun enough and it's time to go. But um, I can tell you in the almost four years since I found the boat, the three years and change since I've been living on the boat, and the one year that it's been since I untied the dock lines and left Annapolis, I have not for one nanosecond regretted buying this exact boat, living on this exact boat, following the path that I followed, coming down here and living on the boat. It has been perfection. And what could one ask more for in life <laughs> than perfection? Uh, it's perfection only if you view it that way. So, shockingly, we've probably talked longer than we were supposed to. So, I will wrap up. But that's the backstory with help of my beloved cousin Scott here in sunny, uh, perfect Central Florida. It is really, it's hard to describe how perfectly sky blue and puffy white clouds it is overhead and how lovely the weather is. I still have not worn jeans since March, I think. I don't even know where they are. I've, I've been in shorts every day of my life and find it hard to remember shirt and shoes. And that's what it's supposed to be about. So with that, I will wrap up from Melbourne, Florida. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this. And thanks for hosting the show on Boat Radio. Mike McDowell, love you for doing what you do, and I love all you people for listening. And uh, thanks to everyone for making this journey that we call life a really rich and rewarding experience, because that's what it's all about. So I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode, and thanks for listening. Our aim at Street Invest is to put a trustworthy adult into the lives of street children so that they can support them in creating the most positive paths for their lives in the future. We work around the world, working on the street with the children where they are. For such a large group of children, the amount of funding available is tiny. Really, the funding that keeps organizations like Street Invest going comes from individual donors. Street children are the most abused, neglected, violated children, yet they are also the most resourceful, responsive and resilient children that we could have the honor of working with. For more information or to make a donation, visit streetinvest.org.
pressure for you You've got no time to be true To yourself 